change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, it's a bit of a quieter week this week, but that does not mean that we have a shortage of topics to discuss. So let's just get right into the good stuff. No preamble this week. We're going to talk about something that I'm sure you have been eager to talk about since the news broke. The Hamilton Tire Cats announced after we recorded last week, because of course they did, that none other than the great Darren Flutie would be this year's inductee into the team's famed Wall of Honor. Flutie will be the 26th member of the illustrious club and will be enshrined during Hamilton's August 17th game against the Edmonton Elks at Tim Hortons Field. Flutie's Ticats resume is unimpeachable. He played 86 games over five years with the team and was a member, obviously, of their 1999 Grey Cup winning team. During his Ticats tenure, he caught 405 passes for 5,796 yards and 26 touchdowns. That means he averaged 81 catches. 1,159 yards and five TDs per season in his five years with the Tabbies. He ranked sixth in team history for receptions and receiving yards and was named an East Division All-Star twice in 1998 and 1999 and was a CFL All-Star in the championship year of 1999. In total, Flutie played 12 seasons in the CFL with BC, Edmonton, and Hamilton and finished his career with 972 catches for 14,359 yards and 66 touchdowns. He was deservedly inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 2007. There's no doubt that Darren Flutie is one of the greatest players of all time, and this is a well-deserved honor for number 82, is it not? It absolutely is. Darren Flutie was one of my favorite players growing up, and you just mentioned all the numbers that he's had in his career. The question, I've asked myself this before, Darren Flutie, a top five receiver of all time, Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, and it would be tough to get him up there, but the thing that stands out to me about Darren Flutie is his playoff games and his Grey Cup performances. This guy was just clutch in the playoffs, whether it was with Edmonton or Hamilton, I'm not sure, or BC for that matter. He yeah. had a did huge he, Didn't catch he catch in. the winning touchdown in the West Final when BC Against his beat... Brother? Yeah, mm-hmm. when BC beat Calgary, and then they went on to beat Baltimore in the Grey Cup. I think he Correct. did. Yep, yep. I remember the play very well. Uh, McManus to Flutie. And in that Snow same drive. Snow on the field, drive, if I'm not mistaken, right? What's that? Snow on the field, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I remember being yes. a really snow game. Yeah, all right. Yes, correct. And, like, two day, two plays before that catch, he made an extremely hard catch, you know, reaching out for the ball in uh, bad, snowy weather. Um, this guy just, you know, I think I have his playoff numbers. He played in 14 playoff and Grey Cup games where he caught 75 passes for 1,500 yards and 11 touchdowns. In, in how many games? In uh, 14? Playing 14 playoff and Grey Cup games. Jesus. That, like, think of those numbers in less than what would be considered a full season's worth of right? games. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 1,500 yards? 1,500 yards. It's crazy. That's insane. That's insane. You're right. I used to always – I remember when they did the – um. 2012, the last year at Iverwind, they did the all-time Ticats team, and I bristled at the fact that Flutie was listed as one of the team's all-time receivers, not because he's not a great player, because he's undoubtedly a great player, and those playoff numbers actually kind of blew my mind, but I guess don't know if he was a great Tiger Cat. Now, I've since kind of come off of that stance, because you look at the numbers he put up with the Tabbies, and you the averages, the reason I gave the averages is because they're not necessarily absurd, but when you think that he averaged over 80 catches, almost 1,200 yards, and the touchdown numbers are, are low, but I mean, back in the day, guy, like I don't think Danny McManus ever threw 30 touchdowns in a season. So 
for if McManus is throwing 25 and Flutie's catching five of them, well, he's, you know, that's a, that's 20% of all of McManus's touchdown passes with Flutie on the team went to Dar- Darren Flutie. You know what I mean? So I've mm-hmm. since softened the stance that I don't think he's one of the all-time great tie cats. And he's clearly one of the all-time great players in, in, in CFL history. Top five all-time, no. That is an interesting discussion because I think off the top of my head, G-Roy and Milt have to be one and two in some order, I think. What about you? Do you think those are the top two guys? See, growing up, Alan Pitts was always— Alan Pitts is another one. I think he's kind of forgotten, too, because he played in that, like, forgotten era of the 90s. Yeah. Like, Mookie Mitchell's, like, I know he has the receptions for in a season, and he was— super prolific with the Argos. And I think he went to Edmonton for the last couple of years of his career. It's just, it just and, and this is ignoring the guys from the, you know, eighties and, and earlier mm-hmm. that we didn't really get it. It's, and that's the hard thing about like, and that's why I always kind of bristle at like the whole goat debate. It's like, yeah, unless I'm you see way. everyone play, it's really hard. Like if you want mm-hmm. for, for you're a basketball guy, if you want to debate LeBron and Jordan, like I feel like I can have that debate with someone. Cause I watched a fair chunk of Michael Jordan's career and obviously we've, we've seen all of LeBron's right. But in, in other instances, like it just, it feels so hard to, and the game has changed so much as well. Like how do you judge a guy like Rocky Di Pietro versus, versus yep. someone who plays today? Like where do you put a Tony Gabriel versus a Gino Lewis? You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. That might be something that maybe leading up to Flutie's, induction you and i can maybe sit down and try to hammer out our top five maybe instead of doing top five all time we'll do top five of kind of our lifetime top five of the last 35 years or so 30 years you know what i mean make it a little bit not necessarily easier on us but but more fair to the guys that like hal patterson who put up phenomenal numbers that we obviously were not even born yet to see play but i think they're they're, off the top of my head, the only two guys that I know for sure that I would rank ahead of them, you mentioned Alan Pitts, so I guess there's three, is Alan Pitts, G-Roy, and, and Milt Stiegel. We get to four, like Ben Cahoon maybe gets in that yeah. conversation. It would be tough to fit him in there. I, I will admit that, yeah. but I just – because there's been so many great receivers over the yes. years, but I don't know. I don't know. I just like his – his playoff production is so prolific that it just like it makes me raise my eyebrow a little bit about man, you know, you know, I love Darren Foley, but maybe he's even better than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously a tremendous honor for him, and it, it's great to see him back in the fold because he wasn't coming back for anniversaries and all that stuff. Like, you know, since the '99 season, he kind of disappeared. I know he had a short stint after his career with CBC, but after that. He hasn't yeah, been kind of, around. Kind of, kind of fell off the map, didn't he? Yeah, and I, I think I, I was reading a, a Steve Milton piece about it um, recently, the last couple of days, and I think he was, Darren said that he was focusing on his career so heavily to get it off the ground and get it going, and now he feels comfortable he can look back and enjoy his career. So I'm glad it wasn't anything that, you know, he wasn't mad at the franchise or anything like there was no bad blood. It was just a case of he was focusing on his second career. Well, that makes sense because he has been around. I think he's been because he wasn't the the big thing. I remember Angelo Mosca gave a speech and all the living members of the uh, all time team that they debuted in 2012 made it except for a handful. But the almost all the ones that couldn't make it to Hamilton, like Troy Davis didn't come, but he sent in like a video message. And Mosca made a point of guys who didn't show up. And the only living member that either didn't show up or didn't send a video was Darren Flutie. And he started to get the idea of like, maybe there is some bad blood here, but in more recent years, I think a couple of times he's been up to Tim Hortons field. I know he was here last year for, um, Oh, you know, it was probably Danny McManus's induction into the mm-hmm. wall of honor that he was here for. And I know he's, he's been around the team a little bit more uh, yep. in, in more recent years. So it is, it is good to see with him now in, I mean, he doesn't get officially inducted until August, but he's, he's essentially in, he joins the likes of, of McManus, Joe Monford, Rob Hickcock, and Paulus Baldiston of the, the members of that 1999 championship team. Are there any other members from that team that you think are missing from the wall, in your opinion? Like, is there anyone else that won that title that you would think deserves the ultimate Ticats recognition? It's tough. I went through the names. Mm-hmm. I just I. don't. I just don't know if – don't get me wrong. Like, all of those guys are, are – worthy champions and everything like that but the wall of honor is such a prestigious award 
that I don't know if you could get anybody else on there, but I do have a couple names. I think Ger- Gerald or Gerald Vaughn, he he led mm-hmm. the team in interceptions that that year. The O line in total, just just the O line yeah. in total Carl because Coulter, Dave Hack, yeah, all those guys just did a tremendous job protecting McManus, and obviously the quick release of McManus um, helped out that situation. But they had you know ridiculously low sack totals, so. Just yeah, it was like, it was like less than, it was like less than giving up less than a sack a game. I think they were at like sixteen yeah, or seventeen so. most of those yeah. years. Just crazy. Archie Amerson. Yeah, uh, Ronald he's the one. Williams. He's the one guy. He's the one guy that I thought of. I mean, I thought of a couple others, but I'll let you finish your list. But he's the one guy that I. We'll, we'll get into it in a second. I'll let you finish your list. Orlando Steinhauer, I think, has a chance with the combination of mm, playing yeah. and then coaching, uh, depending on would, what happens here. Yeah, if he wins a championship, like if they win a great cup with him as head coach, I think that's that's a no doubt. Like, because I don't know yeah, if he necessarily yeah. had a wall of honor level career with the team, but if you combine the two, I, I think he's a no brainer. But that 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 comes with the caveat they have to he has to bring a cup back to the city though. Absolutely, and then maybe like a guy like Calvin Tiggle. But I preface this with saying I don't think that maybe Steinhauer gets on, but I I can't see really any of these guys actually getting on the wall of honor yeah so i don't think i don't think there's anyone left steinhauer now that you mention it because like we said the combination stuff maybe but i had archie Am- the guys that i thought of were steinhauer archie amerson ronald williams and calvin tiggle i just i don't think ron williams was here long enough and obviously mm-hmm. he had the pretty bad exit from the team and it's the same sort of thing with calvin tiggle like they were they were really good for a short span of time, but the wall of honor is more about longevity and like, it's, it's a pretty exclusive club. Archie Amerson, like all these guys were instrumental to that team winning the great cup, but I just, I'm just not sure if any of them deserve to be put on the wall. But if I had to pick one, that's not Steinauer because of his secondary life with the team, I would say Amerson because I think he was a vital part of that team, but I still don't think he's someone that I would put up there. And if he does was to go up, I think it would be like years down the line. I think, I think there's other players from, from other generations, even some from, from more modern times. Like would a guy like Andy Fantuse be someone that could like, he had some pretty good years with this team, but is that a, is he a wall of honor guy? Or would that be like sort of a recognition of his entire football career versus just his time with the tiger cats? Like you, you think of some of the more modern players, and you wonder, like, if, like, because what separate, like, because Jeremiah Mazzoli probably had higher highs individually than Amerson did with the team, but Amerson's got the ring, whereas Mazzoli doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think, I think with the exception of Simone and Speedy, like, I think those two guys are, are mortal locks. I'm not sure who else is left from the 99 team. And even from that 99 team to now, that really is in that upper echelon that deserves that ultimate recognition right and, and i would like to get a name or two off that offensive line but i just don't know who was really the important guys you know what i mean like mm-hmm. who was the leader along the old line and all that stuff but yeah but i agree with you i think that you know we have hitchcock mcmanus flutie monford and that's probably don't forget ozzy and Ozzy, and that's probably the extent of that 9019 that's going to go up there because, you know, you can't put everyone up there, right? So it's going to be tough. Yeah. All right, moving on. Speaking of Orlando Steinhauer, an interesting quote from the Ticats head coach made the rounds this past week. When asked about the uh, about future Wall of Honor inductee Simone Lawrence's status as a locked-in starter for the upcoming season, Steinhauer gave what some consider a curious quote, and it is as follows. Everything's a competition, he said. There's a competition across the board. That's what we do. We create that in our practices. We create it in the meeting rooms. We create it amongst the team in all different facets. Everything's being evaluated. Now, he was also quick to praise Simone, calling him, and I quote, one of the fiercest competitors, end quote, he's ever been around, but he stopped well short of guaranteeing that the living legend will be a starter in 2023. So, Mike, what do you make of the quote? Is it much ado about nothing? General coach speak that we hear at this time of year. Or could it be possible that we see someone else, maybe the much younger Kyle Wilson, lining up in Simone's spot at Will Linebacker when the season begins in a few months? I think it was mostly coach speak. 
Um, maybe he's trying to motivate Simone a little bit. And then I know that Simone doesn't really need motivation, but after, you know, kind of a, a down year where he wasn't that same Simone Lawrence, maybe he's trying to light the fire. But I do believe that Simone will be the starting a starting linebacker on this team. Like you said, if if it was anybody, it'd probably be Kyle Wilson just because of how he played last year, filling in for Simone when he was injured and did a pretty good job. So um, I think Simone will be that starting spot. And I think he still has like, a, you know, a year or two left in him as a starting linebacker in this league. So I think it's much ado about nothing. Yeah, I think so. I know he's getting up there in age, 34 years old. Last year, missed half the season. Only played nine games, missed half the season with an injury. First first major injury of his career. And I get the team saying something like this. You know what I mean? Like Kyle Wilson is seven years younger than Simone. He played very well, filling in for him last year. I, I understand the team the team or Orlando saying like everything's a competition because that's kind of the, the attitude you want. Like I'm sure if you asked him about Bo, he might say something like, I mean, he'll enter as the starter, but Hey, if he gets beat, like, which you know is ridiculous, right? Like, but coaches say that good coach, Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, always never lets guys rest on their laurels. You know what I mean? And I, I just, I just see this as similarly him saying, no, we're not, we're not, and especially in public, like Steinauer can be a little bit, uh, I don't want to say he lies, but he's, he's very secretive, secretive. That's probably the best word to use. He's very secretive. He doesn't like to expose much. I think Simone enters training camp as the starter. I mean, you look at it, the videos he's posting. I think he posted a video. Willie Jefferson came down. To, he's posting yoga videos and workout videos. And I know that means nothing at this time of year, but when you're starved for football content, you kind of take what you can get. He looks in tremendous shape. It, it's just a matter of if his body can hold up for 18 games. And I'm willing to say, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that last year was an anomaly. Now, if he comes into this season and he plays in 10 games and he misses with various injuries again, well, now I'll start to wonder if maybe it's time for the team to move on from him. But I'm not going to kill the guy for one year when he got older of, of dealing with some injuries when players younger than him on this team have missed plenty plenty more time over their careers with injuries. So, I, yeah, it, this this to me is coach speak, nothing more, nothing less. And uh, anyone who takes this comment to mean Simone won't be suiting up, as as we saw in our in our Twitter mentions with some trolls from Saskatchewan laughing at the idea that he couldn't start. I mean, you're out to lunch. I, it, it could very well happen, but I, it would, it would shock me very much if I went to McMaster for the first day of training camp and they're running 12 on 12s and Simone's out there with the eight group. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I saw some, uh, some criticism of three down for posting this article that where Steinhauer said that, <clears throat> and that's just, to me, that's just ridiculous. I mean, Steinhauer said it. How is it not? How is that? How is that not new? That's just, like, it's so silly. Like, I I don't understand the uh, the the blowback from that. I mean, it's just like, you know, we they're trying to get quotes from coaches and they're going to put it out there. So if 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 Steinhauer didn't want it out there, then he shouldn't have said that. Well, there's also a video of it. It's from it's from a uh, a sit down interview that I think I think dunk did with steinhauer at the mm-hmm. combine so the video's yep. out like whether there was a written article about it or not the con the the words are out there and and we d- he's orlando's a, a secretive guy so if he if he wanted to nip that in the bud he could have easily just said simone's our starter going forward and that that's you know what i mean but he didn't yep. he, he he said this ah cfl fans just like to complain man i i know you and i complain a lot about stuff but man just some of the stuff like it's the idea that I want you to cover the league more, but no, not like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's always, yeah. it's, it's, I want, I want, if you want, look, if you want nothing but praise for the team you cheer for, go read the stuff they put on their own website. If you want to come for potential news or analysis, or maybe not at everything is, is looked at with rose cutter glasses, you go to a place like three down because they're going to give you. And, and I, the thing, the funny thing is, is I've been, charged with being too nice when it comes to some of the tie cats you know it, shortcomings and i get hmm. i get labeled as nothing more than a fan with it with a website but 
you, I don't know. You can't win everybody over. You can't have, no. but in my opinion, you just can't have it both ways. You can't want more CFL content and then be mad. Like I understand if it was something silly, you know what I mean? Like the, like the BS I used to do where I would compare players to movies and whatnot. If that's not your bag, I totally get that. But if you're a CFL fan and, and you're looking for articles and, and stuff discussing your team, mm-hmm. I don't really understand why you'd be upset. Maybe it's not the thing you want to hear, but uh, I'm sorry, that's life. But the head coach said it, so, you know, yeah. you're going to have to deal with it. All right, moving on, we're going to continue our look at each Ticats position group ahead of the 2023 season. And today we are going to discuss one of Mike's favorite areas, the big boys up front, the offensive line. The Ticats made one major change to the O-line this offseason, signing former BC Lion left tackle Joel Figueroa to a two-year deal in free agency. Big Fig, who started his CFL career with the Tabbies in 2013 and spent the first three years of his career in black and gold, rejoins the team after a seven-year absence where he became one of the league's top blindside protectors with Edmonton and BC. He will join a group of four returning starters, including David Beard, whom they acquired from Edmonton in a trade last year, Coulter Woodmansey, Chris Van Zyl, and stalwart guard Brandon Revenberg. The team also has a number of Canadian and American depth linemen, such as veteran Canadians Alex Fontana and Kyle Saxlid, as well as young Americans Tyrone Riley, who started eight games for the team in the regular season last year and won in the playoffs, and Brandon Kemp, who started a single game for the club in 2022 after signing with the team in mid-September. Almost every year, Mike, that we have been doing this show, we have discussed our concerns about the offensive line heading into the season. But it sure seems like, at least on paper, this is the strongest offensive line the team entered a season with since we began recording all the way back in 2015. So I got to ask you, do you agree with that sentiment? Do you think this is the best potential offensive line that we have seen the Ticats at this point in the offseason have since we started recording the show? Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that they are, on paper, the best offensive line since uh, 2015 when we started this this little show up. So you got Figueroa, Revenberg, Beard, Woodmanzi, Saxlid. Um, maybe Saxlid might not be the starter at right tackle. That might be for Van Zyl. But just overall, like you mentioned the depth. We, we got potential starters behind the center, the left tackle, and the right tackle. So the depth along the offensive line is really, really good this year. The starting five is really, really good. I am not worried at all about this offensive line, even if there's injuries there's guys that can step in and do a great job. It's kind of crazy to think that every single player that plays offensive line that's on the Ticats roster right now, if you go to the, you go to Ticats.ca, has started games in the CFL. Like even Brandon Kemp, who signed with the team last year, halfway through the season, has started a CFL game. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's... Is that unheard of? Like, I... Again, I... Maybe we can look into the past and see something like this, but that's pretty remarkable to have an entire offensive line. You're like you said, like you're you're not concerned with depth because the depth has so much experience as well. Now, you know, right. Riley and Kemp don't have a ton of experience, but they I mean Tyrone Riley started half the season last year. And, and looked pretty good. coming to yeah, I was gonna say it was kind of coming into his own. Now, obviously, you go get Joel Figueroa because that's a massive upgrade, both literally and figuratively, but if he was to get hurt or they were forced to to switch up something with the ratio, they had to start two Americans on the offensive line and Riley has to play, let's say, right tackle. I'm not really all that concerned. The only time I think I was this bullish on the offensive line was 2019, but that was much later because Van Zyl didn't come to the team until the Argos cut him just on the eve of training mm-hmm. camp. So if we were to if we were doing this three years ago, four years, four years ago now at this time, I would have been concerned. I probably would have been saying like, who's going to play right tackle. You know what I mean? But here we are with this group. And um, I mean, mark your calendars, Mike, like the, like everyone out there, mark your calendars. Cause Mike will not complain about the offensive line when we do our, our season preview episode. So uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about. That was usually good for a good 10, 15 minutes of conversation. I don't know what we're going to do now. Right. It was, it was always left tackle and uh kicker. Yep. You know what I mean? And now and, both are solved. Both are, are solid right now. So, yeah, it's it's such a relief to come into the season not being worried about who's going to protect our quarterback's blind side. And I might have had concerns about Figueroa um, a little bit earlier in his career because he was, he was injured quite a bit early yep. on in his career. 
but he seems to have squashed that. Like the last couple of seasons, I think he played 17 and 18 games. So um, he seems to be getting, which is not, doesn't happen very often is he had injury problems early on in his career and it seemed to be, you know, gone away uh, at this point in his career. So yeah, I couldn't be happier with this offensive line. It's just, you know, I, I'm getting excited right now just looking at them. If I do have one question mark along the O-line, though, it would be the viability of starting Chris Van Zyl at 39 years old. There's no impeaching his resume. He's a future Hall of Famer. But he's played in just 13 games the last two seasons combined, which is the fewest he has played over any two-year span in his career. In fact, until 2021, Van Zyl had played in 173 of a possible 198 games in his career. And that includes when he was a guy who wasn't a starting caliber player early on in his career. So he could have missed games simply due to not making the roster at the time. He still seems to be as good as he always has been when he plays. But the problem is it's the when he plays thing. Is it wrong to wonder if maybe the Ticats should hand the reins at right tackle over to someone else like a Kyle Saxlet, as you mentioned, or should they roll with Van Zyl and just hope that he can recapture his form at nearly 40? I don't think it's wrong to think that. And, uh, you know, you mentioned all the injuries and, you know, that Grey Cup game in 2019, he actually, he got killed um, yep. by Jefferson and uh, Jeff Coat. Jeff Coat. Whoever it was, um, he just got slaughtered. But I don't, I don't have a problem with him coming into the season as a starting right tackle because of a guy like Saxlid behind him. Um, I think that Van Zyl, you know, even if he's not necessarily starting, I think he can be, you know, that veteran presence along that offensive line that can help these younger guys out. So I don't have a problem with him coming in as the right tackle, because if he does get injured, we can just slide in Saxlid and, you know, there's, he, Saxlid should be able to hold down that right tackle position. So, you know, I don't see the harm in bringing him in as a starting uh, right tackle at this point in time. Yeah, I guess usually the worry is, especially because there were so few, used to be so few Canadian tackles, right? It's if you lost your starter at that spot, you'd have to fill it in with American, which would cause you to move around your ratio. But because they have a guy like Kyle Saxlid who can play all five positions on the offensive line, I guess there is less concern with starting Van Zyl. I just... Do you, do you think Van Zyl is going to play anywhere near 18 games this year? Like if I was set the over under on Chris Van Zyl games played this season at 12 and a half, would you take the over or the under? I'd probably have to take the under just at how the last couple of years have gone for him. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one because he's, he, he is, like you said, he's still like an all-star caliber offensive lineman, but he is almost 40 now and he's had injury problems. So I mean, if they didn't bring him, if, some, if they just cut him, I wouldn't be upset. If they brought him back, I'm not going to be upset. So either way, it's it's all good. Anything else you want to talk about, about your favorite group, the offensive line? Or are you ready to move on? And we can, uh, we can, well, I mean, we're going to talk more offensive line, but we'll, we'll be talking more about everyone's offensive line. No, I think we've covered it. Um, just the excitement we have over these, these five starters and uh, the depth behind them. I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah, there's just not a lot of questions, which is so bizarre to say. And who knows, maybe these, you know, exactly. But who knows, maybe we'll get into the season and they'll just be Swiss cheese and they'll just be terrible. <laughs> but but at this point in time, with these guys, you know, the talent level, um, the depth, I think we, Bo Levi Mitchell should be protected pretty well. All right, let's move on. The past few weeks, we have given you out there our CFL player pyramids. We have done them for leagues, quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers. In the interest, sort of, in switching things up, we thought instead of doing a player pyramid this week for the league's offensive linemen, we would decide to evaluate them as a unit. No group on the field relies on the other to do their job more than the offensive line. This felt like a good way to evaluate those big guys up front. So instead of a pyramid of 15 players, we are instead going to power rank the nine offensive line units from around the league as a whole, going from nine to one. So, Mike, before we start, like I always ask, how did you find this week's assignment? We didn't have to slot individual players, but did you find this task as difficult, easier, or what have you, as some of our past ones? It was definitely difficult because I liked, obviously, I focus in on the Hamilton Tiger Cats offensive line. I know all the players. I know how they've meshed in last year, and I, I'm not as familiar with the rest of the league, but 
I tried to cobble together, you know, sack totals and all that stuff and, you know, look at the additions and subtractions and try to get at it that way. So it definitely was difficult and maybe people will call me out for some of these, um, the way they're ordered, but, uh, you know, I tried my best. Yeah, this is, I relied a lot on reputation myself for this. I did sort of the same thing as you looked at who teams signed, what the numbers were last year. This is the one that I feel like if people criticize us, I'll feel most justified and just going, you're probably more right than I am. This is the one area that I, every year I go into the season wanting to see more, but when it's easy to do in the preseason, like in the preseason, I'll watch a lot of offensive line play because the score doesn't matter. But during the regular season, and especially when you're, you're watching games on television and I don't really tend to go back and watch, watch games again to quote unquote study film you're following the ball where the TV and then when you're at the Mm -hmm. stadium watching games, you're following the ball where it goes. Like you're not always, sometimes, you know, I'm watching receivers run routes instead to see if a guy's open and what have you. So it's a lot harder to to judge these. We are kind of going off of, or at least I am other people's opinions, just what I saw in the numbers myself. And like you said, what moves teams made. So enough of my rambling. No, let's get into this, Mike. What does your list from nine to one look like? All right, at number nine, I have the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, just a historically bad offensive line last year. Maybe it wasn't all on the offensive line. I know that, you know, certain assignments for blocking are different with the running back and all that stuff. Maybe the quarterback was running around too much, but they were still terrible. They gave up 77 sacks last year. They made a couple of additions in Philip Blake, uh, I believe at the left tackle position, and Godber at center. But they, this is a, a case where they have to show me that they're better. You know, they can add a couple guys and maybe on paper it looks better, but I have to see it. So at, at the last spot, I have the Rough Riders. Um, and the eighth spot, I have the Edmonton Elks. They added Corte and uh, St. John, St. John from uh, Saskatchewan. I believe Chris Jones drafted him uh, when he was uh, with the Rough Riders a couple years ago. You know, the Edmonton gave up 53 sacks last year, which isn't 77, but it's still a very high number. I'm not sure how much more it's going to be improved with the additions of those guys. So until I see more from them, until the season starts, I have them ranked at number eight. At number seven, I have the BC Lions. They did a great job last year when Nathan Rourke was quarterback. When Vernon Adams slid in, it kind of dropped off. So I don't know. I think Nathan Rourke might have looked, made them look a little bit better than they actually were. Um, so that's why they're at number seven. They added guys. Um, they added Couture, but they lost their best offensive lineman in Joel Figueroa. So that's. I think that's going to hurt them a little bit. So that's why that, they're at number seven. Uh, Montreal slides in at number six. They gave up 47 sacks last year. Uh, they didn't really add much. They got Lawrence from Toronto. I believe he's a he was an all-star center last year, so that's a good addition. But other than that, they haven't really changed things up that much, so they slide in at the number six spot. Um, Toronto comes in at number five. They gave up 25 – no, 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 43 sacks last year. I was going to say um, 25 sacks. That's incredible. Yeah, that, that would have been really good. Uh, they, they added Hunter – it was a guy that was in the NFL for about four years. They got him back, um, but they lost Philip Blake and Lawrence, as I just mentioned, to Montreal. So maybe this Hunter guy is the is you know the real deal. Uh, you know he's been in the big league in the NFL for many years, or maybe he's a guy that's coming back to the CFL and will be disappointed that he's back here and not motivated. Maybe he's a bust. So I'm not sure. But Toronto's number five. Uh, at number four, I got Ottawa. They had a really good addition, uh, Desjardins. He was in the NFL for a year or two, I believe, with the Patriots. Um, he was a solid player. We know that he can play in the CFL. He won a great cup with the Bombers back in the uh, couple years ago. They lost Sirocco, Williams, and Richards, though. So um, Richards didn't really play that well last year, so maybe they can slide in a guy that uh, can you know, do a better job there. And it was tough for me with Ottawa and Toronto, the four and five spot. You could switch them. Um, I, I toyed with switching Toronto to four and Ottawa to five, but I just think that Ottawa's, um, <clears throat> they gave up only 34 sacks last year. So they're a pretty solid group. And at number three, I have Hamilton. Now, 
I could I could put them at number one, but I just I just you know on paper they could be number one, but I just have to see them play like some of these other teams. Um, obviously they added Figueroa, and they only lost a guy like Colin Kelly, and I don't think that's necessarily a big loss. Uh, we definitely upgraded along the offensive line this year, as we talked about a couple minutes ago. Uh, number two is Winnipeg. They lost Couture, but you know they've been the you know, the best offensive line the last couple of years, maybe not last year, but they've been up there with, you know, number one, number two, um, the last three or four years. So I don't think that's going to change. And then Calgary, Calgary was the best offensive line last year. They only gave up 17 sacks, which is a crazy good number. Um, they lost a guy, good Jones. He went to the NFL, but they got Derek Dennis back. Um, he was their all, I believe he was an all-star, um, left tackle last year. Uh, they were going to continue to protect the quarterback really well. They gave up the least amount of sacks and they had the leading rusher in the, in the league last year. So I have to slide them in at number one. Yeah, we do not have a lot to disagree about with our list here, buddy. So, uh, I also have the riders at number nine. They easily had the worst offensive line last year, and I just don't think they did a lot to upgrade it. I You mentioned they bring in Philip Blake. They brought in Peter Godber. I just don't think that's enough. You know what I mean? And until mm-hmm. we see what they can do, I think them at number nine is wholly warranted. And until we, we see what they look like on the field, I'm not ready to move them up beyond the bottom. Uh, I have Montreal at number eight, so that's a little divergent. You had them at number six. I think they're kind of inexperienced, and I'm not as high on the team as a whole this season. Uh, I think that they're they're one of the teams that I think is, because of some of the moves they made and guys they lost across the board, that they're likely to to sputter a little bit this year. And I just, there, there's not, you know, I, you look at some of the other teams, you can go, like you mentioned Edmonton and, and Mark Corte. It's like, there's a there's a stud. You mentioned Hamilton, and it's like they have a guy, and Winnipeg has Stanley Bryan, and Calgary has a number of guys. Like you can you can point to almost every other team and be like, "There's your, you know, offensive lineman of the year candidate." I'm not entirely sure who that would be in Montreal. At seven, I have Edmonton. I think that group has a lot of potential, but they traded away David Beard last year, who's considered by many to be the best center in the league, to Hamilton. And Taylor Cornelius, when he was out there last year, was kind of running for his life. So I think I need to see more from them this year before, because I don't think they made a ton of huge additions. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that line is is very similar to what we had last year. But I'm also thinking, again, whole team, I think the Elks are going to take an uptick this year. But we'll have to wait and see. If that offensive line gels and Cornelius plays well, then we'll that, that'll get revised. Uh, number six, I have the BC Lions. They've had their own line problems since Michael Riley went back there all those years ago, but I thought they were pretty good last year, but they lost Joel Figueroa to Hamilton. So you kind of got a downgrade. Like they might've been maybe five, maybe four, if they didn't lose a guy like Figueroa, but you lose that left tackle. You mentioned the difference in when Rourke was there and Vernon Adams was there. Well, Rourke's gone now. So you, you get a quarterback that's those mobile and maybe and maybe like you said with Saskatchewan maybe that had to do with their problems too as a quarterback that doesn't stand back there. But Dane Dane is more of a, a statue not a statue s quarterback because he does have the ability to run with the ball, but he's more of your traditional drop back quarterback. So maybe if he's back there, we could see more of what BC did with with Rourke at the helm last year. But until we like Vernon's going to be the starter, so until we see them make a switch, I think you got to take him down just a little bit. Uh, at number five, just like you, I have the Toronto Argonauts. They didn't wow me last year, um, and I think they'll be okay this year again, but I don't think they're anything special. And you mentioned Ryan Hunter. So many people are ready to crown him as the next big thing of Canadian offensive linemen. And I got much like with a lot of the guys on the Argos, I got to see it before I'm ready to make some grand proclamation that this guy's going to be the next Chris Van Zyl. You know what I mean? Like, Show me on the field before I start calling you the best of, of anything. You know what I mean? Uh, number four. So our our top four are the same four teams, obviously. A little bit different order. But at number four, I do have the Ottawa Red Blacks like you did. I just like what Ottawa's done this year. You mentioned the guys that they lost. But I think getting a guy like Drew Desjardins, I think younger guys, younger players are going to step up this year. Ottawa always invests 
in the offensive line at draft time. So they're all, they lose guys, but they all, like you mentioned, they lost Darius Sirocco, but I mean, they got him from Hamilton, but they got guys in the pipeline ready to replace him. And again, I think Ottawa is going to be better this year. So I think that that will lead to this unit being better at number three. Also the Hamilton tiger cats, they might not be third if they didn't add Joel Figueroa, but that addition mm-hmm. kind of really, to me, solidified them as a top three unit. The, the rest of the guys across the board. I mean, we 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 went into the tie cast. We don't have to go into it again. We're really high on what they have. At number two, I have the Calgary Stampeders. But I got to admit, Mike, your impassioned plea for them at number one nearly swayed me. They've had a good offensive line for what seems like years. They always allow very few sacks. They always tend to put up big rushing numbers. Last year, like you said, they had the leading rusher in Kadeem Carey. They allowed 17 sacks last season. The argument for Calgary at number one is compelling, but ultimately I used historical data and I went with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at the number at the number one spot. They're just they, – maybe they weren't the best last year. Maybe it was Calgary, but I, again, with how good that line has been with – with Stanley Bryant and Jamarcus Hardrick, like I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that a one-year blip where maybe they were the second best offensive line in the CFL, they can get back to being number one. So looking at our list, man, the only one we really had any sort of large difference on was Montreal. I had them eighth. You had them sixth. But other than that, Saskatchewan, both at nine. You had Edmonton at eight. I had Edmonton at seven. You had BC at seven. I had BC at six. Toronto at five, both of us. Ottawa at four, both of us. Hamilton at three, both of us. And then we swapped Calgary and Winnipeg. We don't give each other the lists before we do these things. We like to surprise each other. So it's kind of interesting that we both came up with maybe not the exact same conclusions, but pretty damn close. Yeah, and and let's hope that all these offensive lines are good. So we can see some really good— Quarterbacks don't get killed. We can see some more offensive production and all that good stuff. So um, even like the worst, you know, Saskatchewan, like we both ranked them as number nine. They could be better. Um, I don't think they'll be much better, but I think they'll be better than last year. So that's, you know, they may be the worst again, but I think they, I don't think they'll be giving up 77 sacks again. Well, that's just it. Like if you're doing a ranking of one to nine, someone's got to be nine. Yep. And, you know, I'm maybe we'll hear from Ryder fans that we're disrespecting it. We, we, you know, you should we should believe more in Philip Blake or, or what have you. But not everyone can be number one. And I think I think we both made a compelling case for why we have the teams where we have them. So, I mean, it's one of those things that maybe we'll have to pay a little more attention to when we come back and do this next year. Maybe we'll maybe we'll be a little better educated. And and, and but I know I, I just think. Given that we both came up with fairly similar lists, I feel like maybe it'll be interesting to see the reaction to it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, it was always interesting watching the reactions to our our pyramids. So I'm kind of curious as to how how we'll see from the from the power rankings of the O-line, because I do know a lot of Riders fans did think their offensive line sucked last year. So I, maybe we won't hear as much from them, but I'm sure we'll hear from the oh, the you know, the they have the fifth ranked offensive line, but they're the defending Grey Cup champions. You guys are biased and uh, you know, the same, you, the same, you same the SB always here. Yeah. How could you win a championship with the mid O-line? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can't believe you guys didn't have the tie cats first. You're such homers. And it's like, uh, anyway. All right. Let's play a game, Mike. We're going to play three downs to go today. We've played this a couple of times before, but the concept is simple. We have a topic and three possible answers, and we choose the one that we most believe in. Are you ready to go, Mike? Let's do it. All right. Let's start with one of my favorite players. Toronto Argonaut quarterback Chad Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly was has uh, was recently talking about his desire to return to the NFL after the upcoming CFL season, believing that if he were to lead the Argos to a second consecutive championship, NFL teams would have no choice but to sign him. As laughable as that statement may be, if Kelly plays well, he may very well get another NFL opportunity. So, Mike, after this season, Chad Kelly will be... Back in the NFL, back with the Argos, or playing in another league or out of football altogether? I think he'll be back with the Argos because I I don't see them winning the Grey Cup again with Chad Kelly as the quarterback. Yes, Chad Kelly came in and played a small portion of the Grey Cup and played well, I will admit. But I just, I don't think he's going to be 
I don't think he's going to light the league on fire next year enough to get an NFL shot. The guy's 29. You know, he has an ego. He has a personality. I just don't see an NFL team bring him in to be a backup quarterback to a guy. You know, they want they want a backup quarterback who's not going to cause any trouble, right? They don't want a guy who's going to be saying he should be the starter and all this stuff. And I just think that Chad Kelly is getting ahead of himself. He needs to focus on where he's at. He needs to focus on the Argonauts and playing football in the CFL. And uh, I don't think he is. And I think that's going to that's gonna hamper him next season. Bo Levi Mitchell, much younger than Chad Kelly is now, <laughs> didn't sign with an NFL team because he went to Minnesota and said, I'm here to beat out Kirk Cousins for the starting job. I'm like, whoa, 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 we don't want that. NFL teams don't mm-hmm. want guys coming in to knock out their incumbent starter. Uh, my answer to this is playing in another league or out of, the, out of football together. He's in the last year of his contract with the Argos. In the same interview, he complained about his pay. If he's middle of the pack, if he's McLeod Bethel Thompson, which I think is is a, a little above average as a starting quarterback with the, with the numbers he can tend to put up, if he's that, he's going to expect Zach Caleros, Bo Levi money, and the Argos would be absolutely insane to give it to him. I think he'll go and play in the USFL or the XFL if they're still around next year and try to get in the NFL that way. Because I, I like you, I don't think he's going to play well enough this year to get to the NFL. And I don't think the NFL wants him. Like, I know we said, oh, the, the Browns and the Panthers kicked the tires on him. But it's like, if the Browns and the Panthers wanted you, you'd be with the Browns and the Panthers. Like, they kick tires because that's what teams do. They try to unearth things. But he's been in the NFL before. He's had off-field issues dating back to college. There's a reason why he's pushing 30 and it's just entering his second season in the CFL. He's done nothing in this league like you. I do not expect him to light it up. And I think at the end of this season, he won't get the, you know, half a million dollar contract that he probably thinks he deserves. And he'll end up going somewhere else, hoping that that's the opportunity in the XFL to be noticed by the NFL and get back to the league then. But age more than anything is against him. He's going to be 30 before the, after this CFL season and going into the the 2024 NFL season, he's going to be 30. Not a lot of teams were, are looking at 30 year olds to bring in as backup quarterback. So I, mm. I just think, I don't think he'll play himself out of football this year, unless he's as he's truly horrendous, in which case I'm taking a victory lap about that. But I think he'll, he'll end up being one of those guys that he'll leave the CFL and go play one of the American leagues down South. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it helps his cause to be giving interviews and be talking like all the time, especially the bar, Barstool Sports, which is like the worst an enemy of the, the, the uh, yeah an enemy of the NFL. They're barred from like any games and all that stuff. I think I believe I'm not positive on that, but yeah, I just don't think it's very wise to be giving interviews, especially to those guys. All right, moving on to another player we love on this show, and that is former Thai Cat receiver Brandon Banks. Banks went on social media and shot his mouth off as he is known to do. And tweeted that, and I quote, the CFL will always be a mid-pack. They stop themselves from being a great league. People jumped on Banks for this comment with some saying he should be grateful for the life that the league afforded him. While Banks clapped back saying that the league didn't give him anything and that he earned everything that he got. Another friend of the show, Michael Ball, never one to miss a chance to go back and forth with a former player, chimed in with, honestly, some reasonable points for a change. So, Mike, I have to ask. Brandon Banks saying the league stops itself from being great is spot on, false, or him just being bitter? Uh, it's it's not totally wrong, but I'm going to go see him just being bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, the league hurts itself quite a bit. I will agree with that point. Like, I'm not I'm not going to argue that at all. But in my opinion, I, I think the league is great. I don't think it's mid. Um, but that's just me. I'm a homer for the CFL. I love the CFL. I love the league. I get excited to watch all the games. Yes, the the product hasn't been the best on the field the last couple of years, but I thought it had a little uptick last year. So I don't think the league is mid. I guess you could call it mid compared to the NFL because everything's mid compared to the NFL. But um, Brandon Banks is just a bitter person. And, um, you know, he doesn't. The thing that bothers me about Brandon Banks is he doesn't see all the love that Hamilton gives him. He Still. just sees the trolls. He just sees the trolls. And he's not a very bright person because 
everyone loves him in Hamilton. There's so many Speedy Banks jerseys out there. Everybody loves him, but he 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 asks us to forget about him. He just wishes that the people in Canada would just completely forget about him. And he says the stupidest shit online. So he's just a bitter dude. And you know, like yeah, he he did have a little bit of a point, but I think at the end of the day, he's just uh, a better person that uh, you know looks back at his CFL career and you know doesn't uh, cherish it at all. So yeah, yeah. I, if I never hear the word mid again, he said mid like five times in that sentence. If I never <laughs> hear that word again, I'll be grateful. I completely agree with him that the league stops itself from being great. That part is spot on because. Mm-hmm they do so many things that just shoot themselves. Like they shoot themselves in the foot so often. The idea that the league is like it, it's the second best professional football league in the world. And that is not up for debate. And, and it's I, never going to be the first, like, you no, know what it's I mean? never like, going to be the first. It's never yeah. going to be the, just like MLS is never going to be the top tier of mm-hmm. soccer in the world. You know what I mean? Or the Japanese baseball league will never be the, like, but that doesn't mean it's not great. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yes, we've taken our we have issues with with the way the game is played sometimes and we voice our opinions. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but we're still supporters of the league. Just the idea that like, again, maybe I don't understand what he was trying to say. If he was saying that the league is. God, I'm going to use the word mid because <laughs> the league stops themselves from reaching greater heights. I can't disagree sure. with that statement. But the idea that the league somehow it's not, I haven't watched a ton of XFL and I probably won't watch any USFL, but in what I've seen in the past and what I've seen a little bit, the CFL blows it out of the water. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. With, with, with the, the, the game, even, even this more recent version, that's been a little less exciting. It's still worlds better than what we're seeing from the spring leagues in the States. So I just, I, I can't agree with him on on that point, but I have to agree with them that it's their own doing as to why they're not, even though they could, they might never get to number one. I mean, they will never get to number one. That's it's that territory has been the flag right. planted there, but they, they could still be a higher number two. Cause right now the golf is pretty large. And that, that doesn't mean that, you know, you exponentially raise salaries or you compete with NFL teams for players and whatnot, but there's ways for this league to continue to grow and be better. So on that point, I do agree on the idea that it's still not the second best version of professional football in, in the world that, that I, I just can't agree with. Uh, I, sometimes I just wish that Brandon Banks never came up here. It's like, yeah, he's just so nasty. Like, it's just like, I thought he appreciated his time in Hamilton, but apparently not. You know, I thought he enjoyed his time. Obviously, he wasn't making millions of dollars like the NFL, and and that's unfortunate. But I just don't understand why he's so bitter. It's just the trolls have taken over his mind, and he doesn't see anything else. Yeah, it'll be very interesting because I think he, from this generation of Ticats, is a block for the Wall of Honor. But now Absolutely. I'm starting to wonder he if, if he's up there. And I get, but after all this, I just wonder if he even want it. Like it yeah. does, because it does seem like he just wants us to forget. He said it himself. Yeah. Forget about me. I just yeah. wish they would forget about me. That's what, exactly what he said on Twitter. So, yeah. you know, uh, how could you put someone on the wall of honor that wants you to forget about them? Forget that they even played for the Tiger Cats. I just don't see it out how it happens. He's not an all-time great Tiger Cat. He 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 never made those plays in the playoffs with the returns to me anymore. I'm sure that Tiger Cat fans feel differently, but to me. He never existed. I don't want to hear about him. All right, moving on. Minnesota Timberwolves center Rudy Gobert punched teammate Kyle Anderson after the two got into a verbal altercation during Minnesota's 113-108 to victory over the New Orleans Pelicans on Sunday. Some people might be asking, what the hell does this have to do with CFL? Well, we're going to get there. We have seen dust-ups in every other league, including our beloved CFL. While the Gobert-Anderson thing didn't amount to much, it was you know, a somewhat light punch to the chest. We have seen plenty of Donnie Brooks over the years while watching CFL games. So, Mike, the best CFL fight you can remember is Angela Mosca and Joe Cap, Noel Prefontaine and Robert Baker, the touchdown maker, or any other fight you can think of. I'm going to have to go with Cap Mosca because that was just unexpected. That made um, international headlines. Exactly. I mean, they, they're, on, they're on Dr. Phil for a segment. <laughs> yep. Um 
so that just to see these like 80 year old dudes like still holding a grudge from 30 40 years ago it just cements how important it was to them to play in the cfl and that and that makes me happy you know the cfl players actually you know excite you know proud of their time in the cfl and it meant a lot to them so um, to me, it's got to be Cap and Mosca, but there have been many over the years. You know, I think there was a Rocket Age male incident where he like he jumped on a dude diver win. Oh no, yeah, that, no, that, no, the the stomp, the, no, the stomp was at I uh, was at Calgary. Calgary. Was okay, it, yeah, it was against, against Calgary. Calgary? Against Calgary. Yeah. Calgary. And then I think there was a David Archer incident where he threw a guy over a table on the sidelines. Yeah. What's his name? What's the receipt? Oh my God! What he, he, the receiver Edmonton swung his helmet. God, I can't remember now. Oh, Ed Hervey. Oh, my God. Was okay. Was it Ed Hervey? Okay. It Ed Hervey. I, I was like, I remember watching that live like way back in the day. And I haven't seen the replay of it for many years, but I remember him throwing him <laughs> over top of the table, which was very interesting. But yeah, I think the greatest of all time has to be Cap Mosca. Yeah. You know, we recently had uh, the Simone James Wilder Jr. scuffle um, in Edmonton back in, I think it was 2021. Wilder took exception to Simone hitting him kind of low, maybe a little late, and they got in, they got into it. I can't argue with 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 Cap and Mosca, but I, I just want to give a little love to the Prefontaine Baker one because Baker slugged him. Like mm-hmm. and that and that I guess Prefontaine, they were both in the Argos at the time. So it, I think that maybe has a little more correlation to the Gobert thing. But I just remember Baker absolutely cold cocked him, and I don't think Prefontaine went down. And for those who yeah. don't remember, Noel Prefontaine was like kicker and a punter and robert baker was a jack dude so like that one always stands out in my head but there have been a few a few a few good tussles in 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 cfl games but uh you're right it mosque and cap it like i said it made international headlines like that's that's going to be the one we all remember probably people will remember it after we're gone so that's got to be number one so another thing that's not really CFL related, but this is such a wild story to me that it felt like something we had to do and could have some fun with Kentucky quarterback and first round NFL hopeful. Will Levis has some, shall we say peculiar eating habits. He puts mayonnaise in his coffee and eats bananas with the peel on. I don't know what it takes to be a high level professional athlete, so I'm not one to judge, but this to me just sounds wrong. So, Mike, Will Levis's eating habits are the most disgusting thing you've ever heard, not that bad, or a simple case of to each their own. Uh, it's number one. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, it's especially the mayonnaise and the mayonnaise and the coffee is just I hate mayonnaise to begin with, and I just can't imagine adding it to coffee. So, I mean, the banana one with the eating it whole, you know, not peeling it is also gross, but. The mayonnaise in the coffee is the the grossest one of them all, I'd say. Yeah, it this is this is absolutely stomach churning. Like, I I don't dislike mayonnaise, but if I have mayonnaise, I like to add you know some pep. Like if I'm putting like a little layer of mayonnaise on a sandwich just to give it a little moisture, right. I'll add a little pepper and maybe sprinkle in some other stuff to give it a little because it's, it's very bland tasting. But and I don't drink coffee, so I wouldn't have put it in. But put it in tea or hot chocolate. I just don't understand why anyone would want to do that. Like. It's just I understand like you know mayonnaise basically just oil and eggs, but mm-hmm. would you would you would you stir up an egg in your coffee? I don't think so. The peel yeah. one's less disgusting just because I just find that bizarre and it's just odd. Yeah. Does he does he eat the stem as well or, do, or does he eat it the upside down and then did he start doing this at a young age not knowing that you were supposed to peel? Yeah, peel, and then yeah. Just, like, like I, I don't just, know, man. Like I just, just don't know how any of this starts. But is there any nutritional I, value? Nutritional value with eating the peel or, or drinking? Yeah. I mean, I, eating mayonnaise is not good for you. It's very high in calories and very fattening, so it's yeah. not a good idea. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of this dude, but he transformed his body. He's super jacked now to where people are worried that maybe he's too jacked to play football. I mean, for me, if I was a, an NFL team, this would immediately take him off my draft boards. I'm like, I don't yeah. want a psychopath like this coming into my building. Right. Like this yeah. guy's going to, he's supposed to be the leader of my team. I'm, I'm going to spend a top 10 pick on him. He's going to come in here and start converting all my players to drinking mayonnaise and, and eating banana peels. Like, no, yeah. I, I don't want this guy yeah. here. I do have to ask before we go though, do you have any weird food things? Like do you have, like do you combine weird stuff, you know, some people eat like peanut butter and pickles or, or anything like that. Like, do you do you have any sort of weird food thing that you that you think no one else would find appetizing? I'm a pretty 
picky eater so uh, i don't have any wild food things but my aunt used to make this thing it was like s'mores but instead of a chocolate you put a piece of cheese so you'd have cracker cheese marshmallow melted and i enjoyed that and i know that it seems very weird but uh i enjoyed it back in the day i haven't had it for like 15 20 years but i remember enjoying it i was not expecting that answer. It wasn't like a craft single, was it? It was like an no, actual no, it was like piece, of cheese. piece of cheese. Yes. Correct. Okay, that's still pretty weird, but I do wonder if like and and used and it was it was not a it was a graham cracker, so it was graham cracker cheese marshmallow. I can't remember the cracker that they used. Okay, but so it might have been might have been like a Ritz cracker or something. It could have been like a saltine for I okay. think it might have been okay. like a saltine or something. So okay, I don't really have any weird thing food things either. Like if anything, I go in the like I'm not a picky eater, but I do have kind of a bland palate. The one thing I've always liked that most people find as weird is Brussels sprouts. Like it's not something I began to like as an adult. Like when I was a kid, we'd have the, you know those big family dinners. You know, you go to your grandparents for christmas or thanksgiving or whatever and we would and i would eat like a pound of brussels sprouts with my like turkey ham roast beef dinner or whatever oh, wow. like i just went out for dinner this past weekend with a friend of mine we went to bread bar in hamilton food's delicious so this is not a plug or you know not paying us but i highly recommend anyone coming down for great cup in november bread bar is located right near the convention center across from jackson square so it'll be right in the heart of where i anticipate all the festivities and all that stuff will take place so if you're looking for somewhere outside of it's still in the downtown core, it's, it's not very far. Bread bar would be a great place to go get, go get yourself uh, a bite to eat. But I went there with a friend of mine and for my appetizer, I ordered a giant plate of roasted Brussels sprouts. You know what I mean? Like it literally was a, just a, it might've been a bowl actually of just roasted Brussels sprouts with a little bit of bacon and some, some, I think they said ranch dressing. I said buttermilk dressing. I can't really remember sprinkled on top and I ate that thing like there was no one's business. And what's funny is the friend that I was with, we go out for dinner every once in a while and he all, he knows that I'm a, a big Brussels sprouts fan. He says, anytime he hears anyone else talk about Brussels sprouts, I'm immediately the person that he thinks of. So I was like, well, I guess the, so when we sit down, it's like, Oh, I'm, we're going to order apps. We're going to order our mains. He's like, you're looking at the apps. What are you going to get? And I was like, you know what I'm going to get? He goes, you're getting that giant plate of Brussels sprouts, aren't you? And I go, yes, I am, sir. Yes, I am. <laughs> and it was delicious, and I loved every second of it. I don't mind Brussels sprouts. They're all right. All yeah? Right. Most yeah, people most bad. people find them disgusting. Like, to, Well, yeah, I, I, I would have when I was a kid, probably. But I've been, you know, as I get older, you try more vegetables and such. And I used to be the same way with, um, with broccoli as well. But I've grown a taste for both of those, so I can understand. That's good. As you get older, you need to eat more greens. It's funny, when I used to babysit my my uh two younger cousins my my uh this isn't brussels sprouts this is something else my aunt and uncle they they would they i think they played volleyball i believe it was volleyball and then i would watch their kids for a couple hours and then play video games while the kids went to bed and wait till my aunt and uncle came home and then i'd go home but they always bought extra milk when i came over because i would always drink a ton of milk now I'm like kind of lactose intolerant, so I, I have to drink like alternative milks. But mm-hmm. I used to just pound the two percent down me when I would go to their house, and it's just it's just funny. Like my the t- growing up, it's like, well, what are your favorite things? And like you know, everyone loves pizza and tacos and what have you. But I'm like Brussels sprouts and two percent milk. milk. Or, yeah, <laughs> That's good. It's funny. I get laughed at when I drink milk, uh, just by itself. Apparently, I'm a serial killer because of it. I don't know. I don't know. But it's uh, I, I I think that. Like I eat, I, when I eat chocolate, I always have to have a glass of milk and, um, you know, my girlfriend and her son think that's very strange, but, uh, that's just how I do it. I don't think that's strange. I mean, if I could still drink milk and have it not cause severe intestinal issues, mm-hmm. if I had cake or cookies or pie or like maybe not ice cream, ice cream, we don't really need milk, but a milkshake. Like I, if I, if I could drink milk, I would, dr- I would still drink milk. I don't, I don't think that's weird at all. Before we go though, are there? Do you have any disgusting habits like pick your nose or you know scratch <laughs> scratch your butt and smell your finger? You know what I mean? Like, do you have anything like that that you do that just like people would find revolting? Or and if you don't want to share, you don't have to. Well, I uh, I chew my nails, which is kind of revolting to some yeah, people. Um, I try I to get rid that of that. Day. Yeah, it's uh, I've gotten better, but uh, you know I'll find myself like chewing on my nails over there and once in a while I'm like, ah, stop you, doing you, that. You mean fingernails, right? You're not talking about toenails, are you? No, 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 no. Yeah, just oh. fingernails. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, there, no, no. I'm not that strange. Yeah, there are some 
psychopaths out there that bite their toenails and I just uh, makes that's my outrageous. That is outrageous behavior, and I will not. Uh, no, 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 definitely not. It makes my, it makes my stomach turn. Think about it. okay. Anyway, yeah. we are off next week as I have tickets to the Forge FC FC Laval Canadian Championship match at Tim Hortons Field next Tuesday. So we are going to take a one-week break before we get back into things the following week. The next show, Mike, we will continue our breakdown of the Ticats positional group by switching to the defensive side of the ball, and we are going to double up, and we're going to talk about the team's defensive line and linebacker. So that should be fun. We're also going to discuss any pertinent Ticats news and play another game of some sort to talk about CFL news. And we are going to talk about the linebackers and defensive linemen in a different way. It won't be a pyramid. It's not going to be a power ranking. Mike and I have come up with a different way to discuss the league's defenders. So that should be really fun. But until then, that has been Podski Weeby for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.